Hi, this is Danny Jacobs, and you're listening to the FSF Popcast right now. The show that once you heard it, made you want to move it, move it away from your eardrums. Our show is brought to you by our charity sponsor, the Redshirt Widows and Orphans Fund, which supports the Wish Upon a Teen Foundation that helps out sick kids when they need it most. And just imagine the comfort you'll give Redshirt crewman number 337. He'll know that when he puts on the red shirt, joins the crew of the Enterprise in their struggle against the penguins of Madagascar, that he didn't leave his family destitute and without hope. Because the Red Shirt Widows and Orphans Fund has his back and what's left of Kowalski's report. All right, guys, welcome to the FSF Podcast. Our guest today is a voice actor who's performed in some of really awesome some great roles over the years you've heard his voice on shows and video games like batman's arkham asylum animaniacs all hang all hail king julian i'll get that right that's why i'm not a voice actor all hail king julian there's been justice league and dc animation and and just so much more oh and he was born in michigan i mean so he he's right off the bat he can't be that bad it's automatically better than that state to the south am i right yeah i'm right you know i'm right anyway we are so proud and happy to welcome danny jacobs to the fsf podcast welcome to the show danny Ooh, thank you guys so good to be with you yeah, yeah we're excited live from michigan as well that's right from the mitten state Woohoo! from the mitten Suck at Ohio. You can't show where you live. Anyway, um, that's mostly for my friend Jason because he lives down in Ohio and we pick on him all the time for that. Sorry, Jay. <laughs> you're stuck there. They get, anyway. they get it right back to us. So <laughs> yeah, it's standard practice, you know. But another thing that's become standard practice around here is by asking our guests uh one particular question at the start of the show. And we do this because we're nerds, admittedly, and we love a good origin story. And so we like to find out what made the person sitting across the virtual table from us the person that they are. So in the story of the Michigan man, Danny Jacobs, what were the influences on you that encouraged you to become an actor and voice artist? I just wanted to play sports when I was a kid, and I was very short. Well, relatively short. When I was when I was a, a freshman in high school, I think I was five foot two. So it wasn't in the cards for me to make the basketball team. That's what I wanted to do, be an NBA player. And then um, because I had all that extra free time of not playing sports, I was able to do the school play. And we, we used to do a musical once a year and a couple of friends dragged me and my brother into a rehearsal. And, and I remember thinking, wait, there's cute girls here. Okay, this could be something. And then, um, but we were too far behind learning the dances and stuff. So I didn't go, I didn't do it. It was West Side Story, but I went to see the play. And I just remember being blown away that people I knew were actually creating this drama and doing this amazing stuff. And I was like, I'm going to do it next year. So ne the next year I, we did Grease and I was in that. And then, then the next year we did The Wiz and I was the Scarecrow. That's kind of caught the bu you know, bug of acting mm -hmm. and I like the applause and the attention and and the sense of belonging that the theater kind of uh, crowd at my high school, Bishop Gallagher High School in Harper Woods, Michigan. Um, and but I still didn't think I could really do it for a living because I there was no one really to blaze a trail. There was no one in the arts in my family. So it was always like you need to put money, you know, you need to find a job that you can, you know, put money on the table, raise a family, and all that kind of stuff, and. But I didn't. That didn't sound like something I wanted to do. So um, when I was going to to Wayne State for a couple of years at night, I would go do community theater. And eventually, I found out I had a cousin on Broadway in the original production of Les Misérables, and that kind of opened a door in my mind. Like, wait a minute. So maybe like you know, some some Lebanese kid from Detroit could actually do this, you know. And so I switched my major and I I transferred to the University of Arizona and I studied musical theater. And I did theater in Detroit and, and regional theater all, all over the place for like 15 years. And <clears throat> sometime during that, I, I saw that theater didn't pay much. So I was like, I need to find a way to supplement, you know, and I had a buddy who was doing voiceover work for commercials. So I asked my agent to like look for stuff to, for me to do commercial voiceover work. And she got me an audition. The very first audition, I booked it. And I was like, this is great, you know, and it was great because you could patch in from every, everywhere, wherever you were, 
I would go and do, you know, I might be doing a play at one time I was doing a play in Dublin, Ireland. And I was patched in to do this. Uh, I used to do the, be the voice of Bissell vacuum cleaners. I was like, this is, this is, this is great. Cause now I get to still do theater, but still make extra money. And, but, but then I wanted to move to LA um, to, to pursue film and, and uh, television on camera. Mm-hmm. And, but I also wanted to produce, uh, pursue animation voiceover. And I had a friend from college who was an animation voiceover agent. Um, but you know, I was, I had no resume for that. And it was really very difficult to break in. And one day their agency got a breakdown for someone to voice match Sasha Baron Cohen for this, like uh, uh Borat kind of sound alike thing. Right. Um, that they wanted to kind of knock off, you know? And so she kind of called me in on the audition, even though I wasn't signed with the agency and I booked it. So that kind of got me on the radar a little bit. And then shortly thereafter, um, they were starting to work on Madagascar 2. And um, Sasha Baron Cohen wasn't available or didn't want to do his um, scratch recording, his initial recordings for for Madagascar 2. And so they were looking for a voice match for someone. And then someone's walking through the hallway. We need someone to voice match Sasha Baron Cohen. And my friend Natanya said, we have him. He's our client. Who? Danny Jacobs. Oh, well, send him out. Send him in. So I auditioned for that and um, I ended up booking it. And um, it was uh, an interesting process because, you know, I was trying to get as close to Sasha as I could. And, oh, actually, I should go back. I Before that, that wasn't my first gig in animation. My first gig in animation was... I was previously living out in LA for, for about a year or so. And while I was there, uh, maybe like a year and a half, um, my agent got me, uh, uh, Walla work, you know, what Walla is. So Walla is essentially the equivalent of being a background actor, but in voiceover terms, right. So all the crowd scenes, you know, it was me and actually James Arnold Taylor was there and Teresa Ganzel and there was oh, like wow. four of us. So it'd be and James and I were just talking about this. I saw him at the Motor City Comic Con and he reminded me like that was both of our first gigs. And we were, you know, John DiMaggio and them guys were doing the main recording and then they'd bring us in to do Walla and we'd be like, oh, you know, there'd be like some giant dining hall and we'd be like, oh, the chicken's really good. You know, you have to do this like unintelligible. <laughs> that's why they call it Walla. It's like Walla, Walla, Walla. Um, so that was my first gig was on Futurama for uh, season one and two. I did like seven episodes and then I moved back to Michigan and I was doing theater and everything. But when I moved back, that's when, that's when everything happened with the Madagascar stuff. And right after doing, um, getting uh, booked to do the uh, scratch work for Madagascar two, that's when they were creating um, the Penguins of Madagascar for Nickelodeon. And at that point, Sasha was not in, interested in doing that show either. So it was kind of my job to lose. And thankfully, I didn't lose it. And then we were off. We did we did like 86 episodes of that 11-minute right. episode of Nickelodeon and DreamWorks um, collaboration. And then I kind of had my foot in the door and, you know, I was meeting people. And then that's when I, that's when I kind of got to work on Phineas and Ferb and Kick Patowski and started, you know, I did, had done some video games here and there. And, um, you know, and then eventually all hail King Julian came around and, you know, a lot, lots of, uh, just a lot of great, great things. Let me ask you a quick question about your high school athletic days. Uh, you said you were five foot two as a freshman. When did you graduate? What year? I graduated in 1986. Okay. So that was well before the era of Muggsy Bogues then. I was like, Hey, Muggs, yeah, cause no, I graduated Muggs in the nineties. Muggsy Bogues, five foot three. Yeah, we had we had Spud Webb though when I was probably when I was in college, but oh sure, yeah, five I mean, seven. Those guys were so incredibly good that you know it wasn't you know I did eventually grow and I, I had a growth spurt, but by at that point I kind of was already interested in acting and um you know I just kind of went in a different direction and you know my, understood if I would have made the team who knows my whole life maybe I would have never found voiceover so or acting in, at all, you know, cause I, I did theater for years and just such a huge part of my life. So 
Well, sad you didn't make the team, but glad that uh, we got you for voiceover. Let's put it yeah. that way. <laughs> it all worked out for everybody. There you go. You know? <laughs> and you were just mentioning doing theater and growing up in Detroit. Um, and I was doing a little bit of research for this conversation. And uh -oh. correct me if I'm wrong on this one, because the internet <laughs> is not entirely reliable. That's but true. I found a note that you were the producing artistic director for the Gem and Century Theater. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah. Um, when I was, um, after I graduated University of Arizona in 91, I moved back here to Detroit. And initially it was tough to get hired, you know, like I just, you know, I, so a friend of mine was doing a two man show, the, his own show. And I said, we need to start our own theater company. I said, I want to start, a, I want to start a thing with you. My buddy, Chuck, God rest his soul, Chuck O'Connor. And we started our own theater company called Generic Productions. And so I was the artistic director of that. And then later on, when I came back from LA, when I was in LA the first time, I went back and forth to LA like three times. Um, I was asked by my friend Rosalie Balanca to, to be the artistic director of the Detroit Actors Guild, which produced Tony and Tina's Wedding, which was an interactive um, show. And I had, I had worked at the Gem and Century Theaters as an actor many times, and even as a spotlight operator, operator doorman, because, um, you know, we had just done a bunch of, and I had even done it, you know, this, I don't know if you guys are familiar with that theater, but it used to be in a location that is now currently where Comerica Park is. Yeah. So the first show I did there was at the original location. They picked up that whole building and moved it a few blocks away to the new location which is now like outside like right center field right next to the um to the detroit athletic club so i i had done a, a bunch of shows there so i was friendly with the management and owners of the theater and uh when they were building their new parking garage and they had a lot going on they wanted to hire a producing artistic director so they hired me to do that um so i i did that basically while jim forbes was building his parking garage and then um, so I got to go scout shows and and help produce and do budgets and hire the uh, production crew and everything. And uh, so, yeah, that 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 was a big, big part of my uh, my background in the theater. Yeah. But, you know, working in a building like that, I mean, it's on the what is it, the National Registry of Historic Places. Oh, yeah. 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 So, I mean, when we're walking through a place like that and it has decades, you know, over a century of history at this point, does that ever get to you? I mean, do you ever stop and think about what's gone on before? Uh, I think when I first went there, yeah, because it was, you know, they had renovated it. It's, it's sort of in the Spanish revival style. I think it's one of the most beautiful theaters in Detroit. And not only that, but it, I mean, there's some beautiful theaters in Detroit, but um, the size of it is is great because it's just intimate enough to where you're right on top of the action. Mm -hmm but it's large enough to where you could actually have a budget and produce plays. So it's about 464 seats or something like that. Okay. And, you know, a lot of theaters are a couple hundred seats, 150 seats. Even if you're selling out, it's hard to really stay afloat money-wise. You, you kind of rely on grants and things like that, but theater when it was operating as a theater. So it had enough seats to where if you had the right show in there and you charged the right ticket price, you could actually do pretty well. Um, and, but later on, I personally have so many memories there now and so many friendships that were forged there that, um, a few years ago, I had a big landmark birthday and I chose to have my birthday party there. And, um, oh, nice. so, it, and it was just amazing because the, the, all the memories come flooding back, you know, kind of like the 20 years of memories. And, and uh, it was just, it was phenomenal. And it was a kind of especially nostalgic because they don't produce theater there anymore. They do mostly events like weddings and things like that. So, but yeah, and, and one time I got to, uh, when I was producing artistic director, I got to meet some cool people like uh, Nora Jones and um, Anita Baker came in there to do a, a concert for a local politician. And I was a big fan of her. So I got to meet her and kind of hang out with her a little bit. And um, yeah, I just love that building. I, I love the Forbes family. And um, that's it, cool. It's, it's a huge part of my sort of entertainment life that I was away from, you know, when I was living in LA. So I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, that's really cool. Good memories. 
Uh, so it's talking about one thing that's happened in Detroit to something else that's happening in Detroit in just a few weeks. We'll all be at Monroe Pop Fest in Monroe, Michigan. Yes. Tickets, by the way, are available on their website, which is monroecomic-con.com. We'll say that website one more time, monroecomic-con.com. And that will also be down in the notes below for you guys to be able to check that out. If you haven't bought your tickets already, go check that out there. Uh, Danny and a whole lot of other people are going to be there as well. It's going to be a really cool show this year. Now, when it comes to uh, Comic-Cons and, and conventions like this, uh, some folks have had to learn to love going to the Comic-Cons um, and, and to do shows like this because it's outside their norm. And, they, you know, they're not they like doing their work. They've had to learn to be a people person, you know, to meet their fans and some other things like that. So. In the case of Danny Jacobs, what is one thing that you had to learn to love about Comic-Cons? And is there something that you absolutely love about attending Comic-Cons? Well, my, you know, my introduction to them was, was pretty amazing because we were, um, we were taken to our, my first one I went to was promoting um, Penguins of Madagascar and Nickelodeon. Okay. So my first experience was, being hanging out with John DiMaggio and and Kevin Michael Richardson and Jeff Bennett and Pat James Patrick Stewart and and Lisa Schaefer, our voice director, and and Bill and Mark and Bob and Bill and I mean, so it's just an incredible group of people. We used to have so much fun recording those shows. We used to record an eleven minute show in four hours. We were probably could have done it in an hour, hour and a half. We took the whole four hours because between takes, we were improvising and goofing around <laughs> and God bless the folks who created the show and were the producers and creators. They, they just let us, they just let us run with the line. So this just continued. Now we got to take, we got to take the show on the road. And so, you know, it's on someone else's dime, like Nickelodeon's bringing you here and there and putting you up in the hotel and they have the big booth there and we're signing autographs and doing interviews. And we did a panel, really fun panel. So my first experience was nothing but positive. And since my, my background was in live theater, you know, I always love being in front of people. Um, connecting with the fans is amazing. And um, I, I was reminded of that because, you know, after the lockdowns and everything and not, not being out um, amongst the peoples for very long, sure. you know, having done Motor City Comic Con recently, I just was really reminded, man, I love this. I thrive on this, being able to connect with the fans because they, they, they bring so much with them, you know, so much energy and love, and you're just trying to reflect it back to them. And you just walk out of there kind of beaming, you know? And so I'm looking forward to hopefully doing more cons. And I hope that, you know, any of you out there listening to this, you know, if, if, if you could request me at the con that your local con that you might like to go to, I would love to come and, and be with you at it. Um, but I, I think, you know, it's just kind of pacing yourself. Like it's a long few days. It can be, you know, talking and, and knowing how to support your voice and stay hydrated, just that kind of stuff. The rest of it is pure joy. And okay. you get to, you know, run into people that you haven't seen. Like when I saw James, James Arnold Taylor, you know, uh, uh, recently, and I hadn't seen him in so long. And it's just like, it's a, it's just a great way to, keep all these connections going with the fans, with your fellow colleagues. And, and even with some of the creators, sometimes there's writers out there and creators that are also at the cons and, and then all the people who run the booths and have the merchandise. It, it's really awesome. I, I, yeah, there's really nothing I don't like about it. That's a, that's a, a really cool answer because it also reminds me of uh, the answer because we asked this the same question of from uh, Colleen O'Shaughnessy, who's from Grand Rapids, actually. And, you know, we asked her about it and she say, gave a very similar answer. It was something to the effect of uh, just you, you mentioned pacing. She mentioned, you know, uh, as very similarly, just making sure that she didn't allow herself to get tired, you know, that she didn't push herself too hard. Yeah. And especially uh, when she and she says and then secondarily, but most importantly, uh, not taxing her vocal cords. Because she would yeah. found that, you know, people, people would come up and she's like, and I understand why, you know, they want to hear us do the voice. They want to hear us, you know, do this, do that. And she's like, but at a certain point, you've got to start tape, you know, tapering that back, she said. Yeah. 
It's you have to know yourself. I mean, there are certain voices you could probably do, you know, all day, every day, and it doesn't bother you. But there are certain voices that are a little more taxing. And when you're doing a voiceover session, you never go more than four hours. So right. with some of these cons, you're going seven, eight hours a day, and it's three days in a row. But I used to do, you know, I used to travel to do theater. You know, we were doing musicals and all kinds of things. And sometimes we would do, you know, anywhere from six to eight shows a week normally. And then during the holidays, you know, we had sometimes to do 10 shows a week because we were doing doubles on three or four days of the week. Um, and so I had to learn all those vocal hygiene and upkeep and health sure. back in the day. And I'm still still learning about it. And you still have to fight bad habits of, you know, speaking without supporting and things like that. Um, and then just staying healthy, sleeping well. You yeah. know, you're in a hotel room, you don't, you know, the situation, but maybe you can control the temperature and bring your pillow with you. I bring my pillow wherever I go because, you know, I, I don't want to take any chances on a hotel pillows, you know. It Understood. Right. I do the same thing. So I think everybody yeah. does. Yeah. Yeah. You know, a little, little, little smell of home can't hurt, you know, when you're in some, you're in a strange place. That's right. I want to sleep in my own drool, not somebody that's, else. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> oh, that's so, great. So let me ask you this too, uh, then Danny, because you mentioned that some voices are harder than others or, or harder on you than others. Which voice out of the ones that you, that you have done would be the one that is the hardest for you or the more taxing of the voices? And um, probably none of the main, the main ones that people would know me for are, are not, you know, are something that I'm grooved into. I can do without a problem, but some of the small other character voices, like, like guest spots that I've done, uh, usually it's like some, some uh, nemesis or, uh, you know, baddie that I play or something where I'm doing something that's down pitched and gravelly or something like that. Um, okay. Those are the kinds of things where you're stretching your voice to, you know, to, to the sort of one end of the spectrum, um, for quite a while. So there, you just have to be careful. I, I, you learn early on, like, don't create voice, don't do auditions with voices that you can't sustain for four hours without hurting your voice, because sometimes you come up with a really cool character voice and you're, you know, and, but it's like, the question is, can you sustain it? <clears throat> so it's not unlike, um, when you see these guys, like, uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with uh, how Journey found a replacement for Steve Perry. Yeah, Arnel Yeah. Anyway, that guy, the really yeah, good. So there's a cool uh, documentary about how they kind of found him, and they were, they were kind of training him up because he sounded great, but they're like, all right, this is a different level now. We're going on a world tour. So you got to deal with singing these these very difficult to sing songs every other night in different cities, recirculated air on planes, you're in planes, trains, and automobiles, hotels, and all mm -hmm. that stuff. And there's some really cool things that um, where Jonathan Kane, the, the keyboardist and songwriter, is is coaching him up on. Here's here's what you do. You, you know, you got to come up with some B choices. You know, it's like, you're not going to, so now I come to you with a you're not going to belt that out like 20 times a month and still be able to com complete the tour. So they were just teaching him secondary ways to sing or to back off, to not push, to sing other alternate melody lines. And some of that, some of that applies with voiceover as well. You know, like, <clears throat> you know, you just have to, you just, some things you can't fake. You just got to go all out, but. Right. Usually it's not the usually it's not the animated series and things like that. It's usually the video games. Because in the oh, okay. video game sessions, there's always they try to save it for last. They try to book you on a Friday. But at the end of your session, you're doing all the taking damage, all the getting hit, all the getting your leg chopped off, and all the dying, <laughs> and all the screaming at your buddy who's about to get hit by a grenade. <laughs> And it's got, you know, you're, these are, you know, you're trying to make this cinematically real. Like they, you don't want it to sound like a video game. You know, if you're doing, if you're doing, um, you know, uh, a war game, of, you know, and uh, 
you know, it's a very serious scene. People are dying around you. You've got to play the the reality of the scene. Um, so yeah, it's like book me on a Friday. And they they've done a pretty good job, the writers, of trying to be sensitive to the actor's vocal vocal apparatus, which is our way of making a living. And um, yeah, the union has has helped with that too. So so there's a collaboration there to just try and keep people's voices in good shape. But, you know, um, when I was doing All Hail King Julian, those were 22 minute episodes and we were recording those in a four hour window as well. Those were, those are pretty exhausting energy wise, just because, you know, King Julian was heavy in that show and it was just, you know, a lot, he's just a lot of bundle of energy. He's never, you know, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so that was, uh, that was challenging, but Fair enough. All good in a wonderful way, really. You know. Yeah, it makes sense. I get you. Yeah. Now, you've kind of touched on this a little bit already with playing the baddies and then doing video game work, and you seem like a really nice guy, Danny. You know, really personal. Oh, you know, and you know, playing King Julian, everybody's kid knows you. But as I was scrolling through your list of roles, um, what jumped out to me was you were Zaz in the Arkham Asylum and Arkham City games. Yeah, I mean, you know, when I was you know, um, I just, it, to me, it's all the same, whether I'm doing theater. And when I did theater, I did drama and comedy and musical and everything in between classics. Okay. And that's what drew me to it. I like to do something different all the time. Um, if I had done two comedies in a row, boy, I was really itching to do a drama and vice versa. So when I was kind of moving all of those skills into the voiceover world, I just was chomping at the bit. And Zaz is, I think, probably the most complex character I've ever played um, as far as his psychology goes. I mean, it, it's very extreme and it's very, it's very specific. You know, he's, he's a nihilist. He's, you know, it, it really makes you think a lot about philosophy because you're like, man, I guess it's true. Like in this life, you either get to the point, you're on this sort of continuum and you're either going towards everything has meaning or nothing has meaning. And that's where Zaz went. He went, he went to extremes to justify why nothing has meaning, although he did give it a bizarre meaning. He, you know, I, I can give this meaning by allowing myself to cut myself when I, you know, I'm not going to allow myself to give myself a mark until I, you know, put someone out of their mis misery, these little piggies, as he refers to them. And mm -hmm. it was creepy. I remember the audition with my friend Colette Sunderman was the one who directed that, that game, voice directed it. And um, when I did the audition, they brought me in to record it. The first session when we were recording, we, we were, I was kind of creeping myself out, you know, like, she and I were both creeped out. They're like, all right, let's move on to the next take. You know, it's like, <laughs> cause it's really dark, really dark. And I don't know how to do anything except play the reality. So I'm glad I'd never played him like in a movie or a play because especially a play, you know, where you kind of have to do the same thing night after night, it can really take its toll on you. Um, that's sort of a mindset. And that, I know there. I know some actors and myself. There, there have been some roles that I've just passed on because I'm like, I just, I don't have it in me to do that for three months right now. I d I don't want to go to that place every night for seven weeks or whatever it is, you know. Sure. So Vaz was uh, Zaz was one of those guys, and but he was surprising in that you know that that's when I kind of realized that a lot of the fans out there love the baddies. They're more drawn to the baddies than they are. The heroes. I mean, I've we've seen that shift over the past probably fifteen or twenty years, where you know the the evil characters are you know being written in such a way. We we want to know their origin stories. We want to understand them. We want to kind of root for them a little bit. Some cases. Uh, so that's been a big shift. And um, I get Vaz uh, Zaz was uh, you know evil enough to where there's not too many people rooting for him, <laughs> thankfully. <laughs> but, um, but I did have, I do, you know, every now and then I'll get an, uh, uh, someone will send me a self-addressed stamped envelope to my agent. They're asking for my autograph and I'm, I'm assuming it would be King Julian, but it's, it's Zaz. <laughs> That's gotta be interesting. 
It yeah. is. And I'm kind of like, you know, uh, thanks for watching. God bless. Like, I hope you're not <laughs> turning in. I hope you're not insane and killing people. But here's my signature. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, uh, I, I uh, mean, thanks for playing the game. Don't hurt yeah. anybody. God bless. <laughs> don't get any ideas now, you crazy right. kids. So, it's not exactly fun to play that character, but it's an interesting experience, at least. Yeah, it's not fun, but it's. Um, you know, one of the things about being an actor is when you feel like you're you're really locked into a character and you're really, for me, I always feel like I, I want to serve the story the best, mm -hmm. which means I want the audience to completely suspend their disbelief and be bought into the story. I used to say this doing theater, like, if I ever heard someone while I was on stage whisper to someone next to him, oh, he's good, I would feel like I completely failed because they're aware of me as an actor. But if they're thinking, that son of a gun, he better not touch that one, he better not hit that girl again, then I know I've done my job because they're not thinking about the actors, they're in the story, they're thinking about the characters. And the only thing they should really be thinking is, what are they gonna do next? What's gonna happen next? And it's the one unique thing about theater and um, and and film to a to a certain degree. Theater is different because you're in the room and you feel it. When everyone in that room is focused on the exact same thing at the exact same time, and you viscerally feel it. Whereas if you're in film or television or video games or animation projects, you know um, you you can get a little window into that if you go to a screening sometimes and you hide in the back. But uh, it's different than live theater when you're up because you're in the moment, you're in the character and you still there's there's that part of you that is still aware that you're in a performance that has to always be there. If that's not there, we're all in trouble. But um, so so I think with with someone like Zaz, that feeling like um, like you made it believable. Um, that's, that's the feeling you want from any character. So in that sense, I guess, yeah, maybe fun's not the right word, but it's, it's a satisfying thing to feel like you've, you've nailed it, or you've, you've really, you know, dwelled in that role to the point where people could suspend their disbelief and go, man, there's, a, there's really this guy out there like that, you know? And, uh, so yeah, and, and so if people are really creeped out by that guy, then I'm like, I guess I did my job. You know, I, I don't want them, I want them to be creeped out by that guy. Uh, you right. did your job. Thank you. <laughs> For sure. <clears throat> All right, so Danny, our group has, our Facebook group, rather, has over 212,000 members currently. Wow. Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty big, crazy group. And in addition to doing being just some pretty jolly, happy-go-lucky nerds, we love a good mashup. Uh, this character and that universe and so on and so on. And so every once in a while, we like to ask our guests, if you had to pick two of your characters to do something, and in this case, it's two of your characters to rule the universe, which two would you pick and why? Oh man. All right. Let's see. <sighs> Two of my characters to rule the universe. Not Zaz. Thank you. <laughs> that, that Thank you. Last. The universe wouldn't last very long. And um, done. Nobody to rule. I would say, um, hmm. Uh, Pinky's dad from Pinky Malinky. Okay. Just because he's a dad, and he and he's he's a he's a sensitive thinking man, I think he might be able to do a good job ruling the universe. And let's see who else. I wish I had a list of my characters that I played in front of me so I could remember. Um, um oh, uh, Hank Pym. Okay, Hank Pym from uh, the Avengers game. Yeah, yeah, because then you've got scientific knowledge. You've got someone to uh, kind of rein you in when you're doing too much crazy scientific stuff. Yeah, those two together might be interesting. I would mm -hmm. like to see how they work together in the Oval Office. <laughs> All right. It would be a good ticket, yeah. actually. I don't know who would be the president, who would be the vice president if it were some that sort of an arrangement, but <laughs> it's funny to think of. 
I was just hoping that you weren't going to say King Julian is as so, you know, I mean, <laughs> you know, that's those are the first things that come to mind. I'm like, no, you said rule the universe. No, 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 no. <laughs> they can't even rule their buddy. own worlds. <laughs> right? <laughs> those, <laughs> they're kind of the same character when you think about it. Just manifesting in a totally different <laughs> way. They have the same <laughs> crazy psychology. <No. laughs> that actually scares the crap out of me. I know. I don't care now. <laughs> well, when I think of mashups, one of the things I would I would love to do, I actually tried to pitch. I'm trying to pitch um, an idea. Like I wanted King Julian to do like a lifestyle show. Okay. Where he like renovates houses or something like that, or something weird, or a cooking show. Oh God! We get to see him in like ordinary life type of thing. That would be the convention. But I also think he would be cool as a lounge singer. <laughs> I would like. I would like. In fact, I might do some. I might do some stuff like that on Instagram or on social media. I might create some King Julian lounge classics because I like to sing, yes. and King Julian likes to sing. So, yes, please. Yeah, I, I would totally follow that. Absolutely. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. Yes. So, I mean, we all learn things as we go through life, you know, and sometimes we have a degree of success with what we're doing and we can see your, your two Emmy awards on the shelf there behind you. Oh, those yeah. old things. Those things. Yes. <laughs> um, so <laughs> if you could go back in time and give young Danny Jacobs, just one piece of advice to help him in his acting and voiceover career, what would you want him to know now? Dude, calm down. It's okay. Everything's going to be fine. You don't have to stress about everything. You need to calm down. You have a genetic disposition towards anxiety. Relax. Blow off some steam. <laughs> um, Fantastic. Yeah, I, I like think, that. you know, it's it's a good question. I, I In a lot of ways, a lot of things, you know, I was very fortunate to meet the right people who gave me the right kind of... Uh, guidance um and some of that was being said to me along the way i didn't understand it they're like you just can't i mean it, there's a there's a two sides of a coin when you care very deeply about what you do some anxiety comes along with that it's just no way around it you can't care deeply about something or someone and then just feel like it's no big deal when it's not going well so whether it was like starting my own theater company or playing a role or preparing for a role, I'm a, I'm a preparation freak. So okay. in, I'm like one of those people, I don't mind, you know, pulling the curtain back on my own process a little bit. Whereas, you know, I want to prepare so well that it looks like I'm so good that I didn't have to prepare, you know, but that's mm -hmm. not the reality. The reality is like um, preparation is what calms me down. When I feel I'm prepared, then I can relax. You know, and years later, I, it did, I did have to learn from jazz musicians and improvisers that it's okay when you don't know what's going to happen. If you can, if you can embrace that gray area where you're not sure what's coming next and trust that it's going to be great, some really wonderful things happen. Um, but because I, I think it was because I was trained in scripted material doing, you know, Shakespeare and classics and theater um i was working off of written scripts and um so when it came time to do anything where you don't know what's happening next i would freak out you know i had kind of a love-hate relationship with improvisation because when it was great i thought it was great but i was reluctant to be a part of it because i was like but i don't know what the material is going to be what if the place i don't want to be in a play that sucks right so, but you know and I had to kind of learn after a while that, you know, um, improvisation is, is writing on your feet. Um, but there's a lot of pressure to make it um, entertainment. But that's, that's not the form that I really like. I like, I like the original idea, kind of like the compass uh, players and things like that. And uh, um, where it's like, you're writing on your feet. And it doesn't have to be funny. Like you're going to, you're going to figure out that part later, but when you start charging money and, and, and selling alcohol, you feel like everything has to be funny. And then, 
then the interesting ideas kind of a lot of times go out the window, but there's some excellent improv improvisers. I wasn't able to be one when I was younger because of all that stuff going on in my head, but because I was exposed to it and I was able to do some of it, doing things like King Julian, I'm asked to improvise all the time. I would call it more of a, an ad lib situation where um, I like improvising from a character. I feel like if I know the character so well, I know what he'll say next. If you, if A, B, or C happens, something's just going to come out of my mouth that, and, and the, the writers are like, yeah, that's him. That's Julian. And when I was doing Scratch for Sasha, that was actually one of the interesting things that happened was when I first did the first session at DreamWorks, I kept getting these notes like, ah, it's a little too metered, a little too measured. I didn't really know what they were trying to get at. And thank God there was a, an amazing um, sound engineer there who gave me an outtake of Sasha Baron Cohen's takes on Madagascar in the first Madagascar movie. And I'm listening and I put it in, I put it in and I'm following along with the script. And he was like saying the line, which took four seconds. And then he was improvising for like 30 seconds or longer. He would just go off. Hmm. And I'm like, oh, you guys want me to do that? They just wanted it to be like really unhinged and just like, you don't know what's going to come out of his mouth next. So like, so use the line as a springboard and then just like, have fun with it. So the next session I went into and I just started improvising and they were like, now you got it. That's it. And then I was like, okay. So then, then I was kind of off and running with that character. And then ever since then, I'm expected to, to ad lib as the character. Like if I were ever to go into a session uh, as King Julian and, and I didn't improvise in the ad lib, they'd be like, what's up bro like why, why aren't you bringing it <laughs> are you feeling okay uh, yeah so you know it's amazing how these things just happen without the planning you know i never thought you know when i was a kid just naturally i used to imitate everything i heard um whether it was you know bugs bunny's voice or yeah what's up doc you know I just would try to imitate it because I, I, I loved it and I thought it was cool and I liked the way it sounded and I wanted to always see if I could do it. And I, I had this natural sort of attitude that I want to try that. I'll bet you I could do that if I try that. And if you've been around little kids, if you see a kid, they either have that or they don't. Mm -hmm. You want to mm -hmm. encourage it because it's a great attitude to have in life, right? But when you see kids that are real timid and they they might try something once and then they're like, if they're, if it's not perfect, they're like, I suck at this. It's like you, you tried it once, you know, like, and you, you, you want people to have this, this attitude of like, you, you can, you can really do it. You can do it. Just try kids, just try stuff, you know? And um, little did I know that when I was listening to the Beatles and I was trying to sound like Paul McCartney and, and John Lennon, and I was listening to Steve Wonder, I was trying to sound like him and on and on and on. Little did I know that was going to be the perfect training for what I ended up doing in the animation world, which is hearing pitch and tone modulation and being able to manipulate the soft tissue in my throat to sound more like one person than another. I had no idea I was in training for what I would end up doing, but that that's when it starts to feel like destiny, you know, like, mm -hmm. When you have no clue, you know, you, when you look back and see the dots connect, you just go, I, how could this be anything but somehow divinely ordained, you know? Sure. Yeah, it makes more sense. Like, I, right. I watched your interview with Rob Paulson, who's a buddy okay. of mine. That's why I didn't wear my lion's hat. I didn't want to copy you, Rob. Um, <laughs> Rob... Rob's become a friend. He's, he's a great guy. I remember when I first started working out there and I heard of him and I knew he was from Michigan. And so I kept going, man, I gotta read, I gotta meet Rob. He's like this big Red Wings fan, the Tigers, mm -hmm. Detroit. We got the Detroit connection, blah, blah, blah. And, um, and I was at the studio one day auditioning or doing a session and I came out and I saw, uh, a little car that he had at the time. I think it was a Cooper mini or something like that. And the back window was full of the red wing logo logo. 
So I see the car and I see him get out of it and walk. And I was like, are you Rob Paulson? He's like, yes, I am. <laughs> and I'm like, my name is Danny Jacobs. It's all, oh, you know, so we finally got to meet. And then late, years later, we got to work together a bunch of times. And, but it was just, it was just great. It's like, going, you know, you, you, there's, there's so much talent in, in everywhere really. But yeah, when you're growing up in Detroit, you kind of feel like, well, we're not New York. We're not LA. We're not Chicago. What are we? But when I was coming up, I mean, everybody I knew that was doing stuff here, like, uh, you know, I just saw a couple guys of the second city, Detroit, Keegan, Michael key and Tim Robinson and Sam mm -hmm. Richardson. Um, those, we were all kind of in the same community back in the day, trying to just do our thing in Detroit. And, uh, so there was sort of an explosion of creativity and, and possibility back then in the, uh, I would say mid nineties, I guess it was early to mid nineties, something like that. Yeah. All right. Pretty cool. It, oddly enough that you mentioned the lion's hat, I almost wore my lion's hat tonight. So, uh, instead I went with my, I'm so fired up about the lions right now. I can't even. Right. I am not drinking the Kool-Aid. I am guzzling the Kool-Aid. I am excited for this upcoming season. So absolutely. why not? Absolutely. All right. Danny, I warned you about this ahead of time. This is our final question of the night. We call it our silly question. Now, on our show, we talk a lot about food uh, with various guests here and there, um, especially with some of our more Canadian friends, because I like to talk about poutine whenever I can. And if oh. I get a chance, I'm going to talk about poutine. It's like saying it's the word, I imagine. Exactly. It's not only, not <laughs> only saying the word, but what it makes me think of, and, and I start getting hungry again. Yeah. Uh, but so, Danny, this is your Michigan test. When it comes to Coney dogs, are you American or Lafayette? And yes, we are judging you. Lafayette, man, come on. <laughs> Atta boy. I bet, I bet American probably has something that's better. Like maybe the fries are better or something. Yeah. But I did the I did the A B test one time yep, years, same. years ago. And I went, I went with Lafayette. So it's, it's just, just the something feet. about the chili and the snap and the dog, you know, it's, it's exactly at a boy. All right. You passed. All right. Oh. All right. <laughs> you get to keep your Michigan, your, you know, your mitten you status. Know I'm not lying about being from Detroit. Absolutely. Yeah. So Wait, the, how many people have said American? If you've asked them, actually, you're the first person I've asked this, uh, okay. I, the other, some of the other folks that we've asked this question, it's you know been a more more about because uh, they weren't from Michigan when I asked them about the food question. It's it's been you know what's like this the silliest thing or the worst thing that they've ever been you know fed. And you almost got that one, but then I thought about you know what, I'm gonna ask him about Coney dogs because you know he's he's from the Detroit area. He should know. So oh, yeah, oh yeah, but that would be interesting because I mean Americans, it's it's an institution as well, right? It's been yeah, there. Well, time. Somebody's eating there and liking it. It's always busy. Every time I've gone by, American Lafayette are always, both so, of them are yeah. always busy. Exactly. So I'm sure there are people who can get into the ins and outs of the differences, but I I, I don't eat it often enough to do that. And exactly. That kind of memory. <laughs> exactly. I just know I like Lafayette. Usually when I order a Coney dog and once a year or whatever, it'll be maybe extra onions, extra mustard. There you go. So. All right. So Danny... Yeah. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Where can our listeners go to find out more about you and your work? So um, you can go to IMDb page or there's a great website called Behind the Voice Actors, um, which is really cool because they have visu visual rep representations of all the characters you played. So you might not know the names. You're like, oh, he played that guy and such and such. That's a good resource. Also on my Instagram at Danny underscore VO as in voiceover underscore Jacobs. So you can follow me on Instagram and I'm also on Facebook. I just rejoined. I'm going to be launching some, um, some more social media, like, in, like, uh, Twitter and, and, um, other things and a website. So hopefully, uh, I can connect with you all that way. And also hopefully I'll see some of you at, uh, the pop fest that we talked about mm -hmm. in Monroe, Monroe pop fest in September 15th and 16th. I'll be there. Yep. And um, hopefully there'll be more stuff coming up in the meantime. Very right. cool. Well, we're going to make sure to put links to those locations in our show notes, our description, so you know people can find it and check you out. 
I very much appreciate it. Both you and your audience members, please, you can call me king, you can adore me, you can bask in my glow whenever you would like. And remember, wherever you go, there you are. Fantastic. <laughs> I, I All think right, guys. could have been like a, he could have been working the, uh, uh, you know, the circuit back in the days of uh, comedy and the Catskills, you know. I think he could have been a Catskill <laughs> comedian. I, I'd like to see that, actually. <sighs> All right, guys, we want to remind you that subscribing is the single most important thing you can do to make sure that we get more amazing guests like this two-time Emmy-winning actor here danny jacobs and to have these funny moments for you to be able to listen to so please subscribe it helps us well more than we can ever really tell you and we really appreciate it and by all means please go check out danny's work as well there's a lot of really cool stuff we barely scratched the surface of the 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 stuff that's out there that he does uh frankly it's it's kind of mind-blowing some of the roles he's been on but if for whatever reason you are not happy with the content of our show today please feel free to lodge a complaint with the head of our complaint department Unfortunately for us, that's Mr. Zaz. He's very methodical, so stop being so impatient and only send in one copy of your complaint form to make him grumpy, if you know what we mean. And maybe he'll have us one day, too, eventually. But the show won't end there. We'll get away, hopefully with even with a little help from the Batman, and be allowed to continue our work if you decide to let it, us call it work. <laughs> All right. Thanks again for being on the show tonight, Danny. Thank, Thank you, you Danny. This was really, I really enjoyed it. All right, guys, on behalf of the FSF Popcast, goodbye. Bye. Bye, y'all. Copyright 2023 FSF Popcast. Reference to any specific product or entity mentioned on this podcast does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by FSF Popcast. The views expressed by the guests are their own, and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. If you have any questions about this disclaimer, please contact us via email at info at fsfpopcast.com. Original music by Jordan Michaels.